This is a Reconstructionist Radio production. Please visit calcedon.edu. That's C-H-A-L-C-E-D-O-N dot E-D-U to download this book in PDF format or to purchase this book. The Cure of Souls, Recovering the Biblical Doctrine of Confession by Rusus John Rushduni. Copyright 2007, Mark R. Rushduni. Published by Calcedon Ross House Books. P.O. Box 158, Vallecito, California, 95251. All rights reserved. The Cure of Souls, Recovering the Biblical Doctrine of Confession by R.J. Rushduni. Chapter 12, Literary Confessions. Without God's absolution, sin and guilt remain as burdens. Where there is no godly confession and absolution, there is repetitive confession. The guilty man, half bragging and half confessing, returns to his sin again and again. He speaks of it, recites it, and, lacking a psychotherapist as a paid and captive audience, tells people about it again and again. One fairly prominent man was known for his many recitals of having once commandeered a black woman sexually in a situation of no escape. He sought confession as a means of absolution from sexism and racism. Literature has become one long port noise complaint. Bin Ranike, in his poem Prodigal Son, having spoke spoke of having eaten those pods I cast before swine, and added, I have sinned with boys and women. In a poem for his sister, Ranike wrote, You still believe in sin. As he surveyed the cosmos, he said, Our final hope is that we will not know. He cited a statement of Marcel Duchamp, There is no solution because there is no problem. Renike's epistemological self-consciousness is both remarkable and telling. Modern man eliminates any solution to his problem by denying that the problem exists. The solutions are variations on the theme of technological salvation. Man's problem is not sin, some hold, but a lack of true democracy to enable the good in man, his general will, to prevail. The problem of poverty is a false system which does not distribute assets properly. Crime is a problem of bad environment or a bad combination of genes which produces a manic depressive person and so on and on. More plainly than most men, Ranike stated his presuppositions. Despite the rejection of the Christian faith, for many writers the biblical categories still govern their thought. While God is left out of their thinking, the doctrine of judgment still governs them. Utopia did not begin with the death of the idea of God in informed thought, rather a growing foreboding of judgment began to sour the humanistic hallelujah chorus. Thus, Thomas McGrath titles his book of poems Passages Toward the Dark, 1982. One very telling poem is titled The End of the World. It comes without the awful traditional fire. It comes unnoticed. Armageddon was never and always. The end of the world is something in which we live forever. 
Given this fact, his brief poem, Advice, is very telling. In a world moving only into darkness, wisdom is for the child. In a meaningless world with darkness as its end, as you grow old, cherish folly, leap into the void. Modern writers are highly subjective in their writings and therefore confessional. They are not averse to confessing sins, but even more, they confess darkness and meaninglessness. Even the icons of the modern age are treated with contempt. Men like Gould and Sagan still see science as truth and Darwinism as reality, but Edward Hirsch wrote a song against natural selection which began with the declaration, The weak survive. Our scientists are too enamoured for their own of their own wisdom to hear what the poets are saying. Hirsch, in A Valentine from Rheinbald, expressed a biting scorn for the world and its wisdom. Instead of the universe of life ascending out of cosmic slime, Hirsch summoned one and all to crawl into the filthiest canal and into death and oblivion. No creationist writer has expressed equal contempt for the high-sounding mythologies of science. For Hirsch, the romantic moon has become the greasy moon floating like a tyre over the highway. We are now far removed from the beliefs expressed by William Wordsworth in Sonnet 33 of his Miscellaneous Sonnets, published in 1807, which said, with regard to the earth, the sea, the moon and the wind, quote, For this, for everything, we are out of tune. It moves us not. Great God, I'd rather be a pagan suckled in a creed outworn. So might I, standing on this pleasant lee, have glimpses that would make me less forlorn have sight of Proteus rising from the sea, or hear old Triton blow his wreath torn. Both Wordsworth and Hirsch made a confession in their poetry. Clearly, Wordsworth is the abler poet, but Hirsch is a more honest one. Wordsworth had all the benefits of a Christian world and life view. The social order he lived in was professedly Christian, so that he had the assurances of that realm. Having that stability... He borrowed from paganism, a creed outworn, mythical images and figures to give himself a romantic view of the sea and the moon. For Hirsch, the romantic view of the world is gone. The moon, instead of being the delight of lovers and poets, is greasy. As he sees the moon, he knows that it is not the lovely vision of the romantics, but something greased by all the lugubrious nonsense of men like Wordsworth over all these decades. The moon is not a poetic fact, but dead rock, and all the solemn romantic sadness or joy connected with it is literary convention and garbage. There is a confession in both Wordsworth and Hirsch, majestic in Wordsworth, but closer to reality in Hirsch. The myths by which humanistic men live are being ripped apart by the humanists themselves. Their confessions are the prelude to godly confession. They witness to the prodigal son becoming at least aware that all he has are husks, and this can be a prelude to repentance. The grimly ironic fact is that modern churchmen cherish happy illusions about the nature of man and the world. They are less ready to believe in a fallen world and in man's total depravity than are some unbelievers. While many like Duchamp are ready to say, quote, there is no solution because there is no problem, end quote, 
they still confront us, confront us with the grim fact of no solution, or at least no solution on humanistic grounds. Thus, the poet Michael Hamburger, in Omens, wrote on the daily fare of bad news from everywhere. In addition to the bad news, there are also, apparently, bad facts. Pollution, fallout, the earth shrinking, expanding, cracking, or whatever else scientists tell us, bad facts and all. Quote, Amid such omens, how dare we to live? End quote. The child always asks, says Hamburger, why? Parents invent an answer. The mind cries out, let there be laws. The wise man and the dancer know that things are because they are because they are. In The Search, Hamburger held that a search for origins is a search for death. Death is the alpha and omega of all things. The poet William Meredith was ready to echo the old humanist faith and said, quote, No one in the whole earth was ever bad. End quote. In his world, no one is ever good either. Good and evil have become trifling and irrelevant concepts. In his poem, Dying Away, homage to Sigmund Freud, Meredith wrote, The love of living disturbs me. Eros, health and brotherhood also, rages of happiness, seize him. They haunt him like a sin-racked Puritan. The world, the fair world, hurts him. And so, quote, I call on the name of the dark healer, Freud, end quote. Wordsworth confessed to romanticising the Christian world by summoning echoes of mythical pagan framework. Meredith is haunted by a Christian world and he calls upon Freud to disillusion him. If there is a problem, and if there is a solution to the problem, then there are very grave responsibilities for men. Then, too, the self-indulgent confession, which admits no answers, is false and deadly. There, then, can be no evasion of what the Puritan Richard Steele called religion, declaring it to be, quote, the great business and end of life, end quote. Ours is an age of confessions, but they are revealing, not healing ones. This is the end of chapter 12. The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows. Or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce, including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His Kingdom.